I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Keith Johnston. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by Principal Analyst Michael O'Grady to discuss the impact of automation on jobs in Europe. Welcome, Michael. Hi there. It's good to be here. Michael, and, and welcome. This is so exciting. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about Forrester's future of jobs forecast. And, you know, this research is not new. You know, JP Gounder and Craig LeClaire started this work a few years back and uh, had some interesting takeaways actually forecasting up to 2030. But a few things have changed. We've had the pandemic, we've had other forces within the future of work. And so, you know, we, we looked into the model uh, that actually says more about uh, even more beyond the automation potential and uh, gets into other bits. It really starts to, to look at where jobs are now and how it goes in the future. Tell us a little bit about what's in the model and where you've taken this. Right, so one of the things that we notice is that um, jobs are a little bit harder to lose than to slow down. So when we look at historical data, we see that a lot of the jobs that had a high automation score potential um, grew, grew slower. Um, so we needed to take this on board in, in our numbers. Uh, and what it basically means is that just because you've got a high automation potential doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose your job to automation. There are other factors at play. For example, um, is the investment available to uh, change that job into an automated job? Um, if, if it's, it's and, and is there a commercial product available that can do that, right? So you need to move away from automation potential and move towards automation potential combi combined with automation likelihood. Uh, and it's those two combined that give you an idea as to what things might, might look like. I think another, um, another aspect is that uh, when you look at routine jobs in Europe. Now, you can define routine as you like, but the International Labour Organization, if you add up the number of jobs that they say are from clerks or from elementary occupations or uh, plant and machinery type jobs, a little bit like the Forrester JP's model about cubicle workers, if you add those together, you get about a 37% share in EU5 of jobs that potentially you could say are automatable. But it's not that simple because you can't break down a job into its elementary tasks and and and, um, and say that uh, we can automate the whole job. Maybe it's just some part of the job that can be automated. So, so um, one of the things that's important to triangulate the forecast is to look at the routine score in Europe and to see whether that's consistent with the outcomes that we're getting from our forecast. So that's what we do. And a few other things that I would say is the Frey and Osborne's uh, model is still in our forecast. It's still a good framework that we're using. It's just changed, it's just modified. Um, and the other thing that we uh, assume um, is that the more uh, a country has GDP per worker is elevated, uh, the more likely is you've got you know, money to invest, right? So the way you invest in, in the US is gonna be different from how you invest in Europe and how you invest in low-income countries like India or uh, Russia or um, how you might invest in, in, in China, say. So the, the model uh, is different because it also doesn't look at one country, it looks at nine countries which are diverse and varied in their approach. 
Um, and the, the last thing it does is it adds new jobs. So um, automation is not a new concept. It's been going on for years. If you look at um, agriculture jobs, you look at manufacturing jobs um, in Europe, they're, they're declining. So I think that's important to take that on board as well. So, so we're, we're combining different views from different countries. We're combining it with statistical bureau data from each of those countries in terms of number of workers, uh, number of workers uh, in employment, um, the, the change in the working age, the change in the demographic. And we're combining that with automation potential, automation likelihood, um, the GDP per worker to gain a framework. And, and maybe the last point, it depends which industry you're in. The way you automate in agriculture or um, it is going to be different from how you uh, automate in retail. And the thing that we know is that in Europe, about 80% of the jobs out there are in services. So the automation of service jobs is a little bit more de delicate. It does, You can't just get a physical robot to replace a person. It, it's a little bit more complex than that. So we've changed it, we've adapted it, but we've also learned from, from the good work that was done previously. Yeah, so I want to sum that up because there's a really important uh, point to be made here is that um, when we talk about the future of work, it's often about the white collar worker and the evolution, the technology that's, that's allowing us to work remote uh, and such. In fact, that forecast that we did a few years ago, looking out at 2030 was heavy knowledge worker. Um, you've really made this future of jobs forecast about many layers in industries and type of labor, white collar, blue collar, and everything in between, correct? That's correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's important to, to realize that automation impacts us all. In fact, one of the unanswered questions, which I uh, think would be a really interesting question in the, in the future, would be, does jobs that have a high automation potential mean that jobs potentially aren't necessarily lost, but transformed, right? So jobs with a high automation potential might mean jobs have got high potential to be transformed as well. And we see that constantly when we look at, you know, jobs, new jobs are created as other jobs um, change. Great. So let's get into the numbers. So the forecast itself is 2020 to 2040 and uh, Europe five, which is France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and the UK. Give us the high level of where the numbers net out, like paint a picture for us, and then I wanna to get to the stories behind this. In terms of the numbers then, the working population is uh, 206 million in 2020 and 186 million in 2040. So we've, we're losing about 20 million workers to the demographic time bomb, right? So we talk about that in the report, and that's a new thing that that we're taking on board in our in our in our forecast. Um, so that's the working age population, but it doesn't mean everyone who's got a working age population will work. So the workforce will decline by from 157 million to 141 million. Now, um, when you look at that decline, some of it's linked to the demographics, some of it's linked to automation job losses. Um, and what we assume in, in the forecast is that it will equate to about 12 million jobs that are lost. Um, and a lot of those will be made up through new jobs like green jobs or ICT workers, AI workers, uh, information workers. Um, so of the 12 million, a lot of those will, 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 be, will be made up. Um, 
Um, but it's important to realize that 12 million jobs will be lost compared to where we are in 2020. And jobs lost is different between jobs at risk, correct? That's right. So if you go back to what I said before, the International Labour Organization said about 35 to 37% of jobs were routine jobs. So that is our, that's our benchmark, our gauge for what potentially the high, the high threshold would be for jobs at risk, right? So if you then assume that it's about that, what, what we are assuming then is that about 25% of those will be lost, right? So of that 35%, which are routine or you know, have a potential, high potential to be automated, about 25% of those will be lost. And so that will equate to about 12 million jobs. And those categories, you, the wholesale, retail, transportation, food services, correct? That's well, so, so that's, it's 12 million across all of the, all of the industries. So we're talking about, um, we're talking about five and a half million in retail and transportation and food services and, and things like that. We've got about three million in industry, which shouldn't be surprising. As I said, that that's always going through automation. Um, in professional services, we've we've got 1.3, and then the remainder we've got 1.7. So so we 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 have this breakdown. But it, you're right. It it you know the the retail side of things, the wholesale side, uh, transportation, all of that has um, uh, will likely lose more 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 jobs uh, to to automation. But one of the interesting findings here is that. Um, that within that segment, there will be jobs transferred. So we know in retail, for example, retail jobs are declining and a lot of those might be going into the warehouse or, or going into mm. transportation or into logistics, right? So, so um, that's where um, you need both jobs lost and jobs at risk. Um, so, and at risk doesn't mean they're gonna be lost. It might mean they're transformed in some way or and that's where we will come back to it but you know the notion of skills and continuous learning is an essential part of the narrative yeah right because you you were pointing out that like automation is not new so you know there's industries like automotive who are tremendously advanced in, exactly. in automation so yeah. what are the one or two uh sectors that are kind of next or just ripe for mass automation over the next few years so one of the one of the one of the documents that I used in Europe, um, there's a really good document um, by their National Health Service, and they came up with um, it's called Data Driven Driven Healthcare 2030, and it came out in March 2021, and they gave numbers around the shortfall over the next 10 years in the workers unless they turbocharge the workers. So, so we're talking. What they say is that they need to increase. Uh, what they call their digital workforce by 70% over the next 10 years, right? Now, what they say also is that natural growth would give you half of it um, because they're already increasing it quite strongly, but they're going to have to turbocharge it, right? So this is where jobs gained comes in because our jobs gained is jobs gained compared to the natural trend of a forecast to, to have, you know, if you trend a forecast forward, you will see, you know, various changes in, in jobs naturally. But what we're looking at is what the changes in jobs are on top of that natural trend. And so we see healthcare being 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 a strong one. We, we know ICT workers, information technology workers will be another one. Um, and, but, but, but here's another fact, right? Here's another fact. And this is why Europe is so special 
in its in its contradiction um you can't get that level of automation without assuming something around ai data science artificial intelligence and yet when you look at eurostat data and you look at the percentage of companies that adopt ai um who are greater than 10 employees or more then it's about 7% today right so um all of the Frayn Osborne model is correct in its logic. It's like a thought experiment. It, this is what will happen in an ideal situation. But, but there are natural trends that say, well, actually, you can't go faster than a certain speed to do that. Um, um, and so uh, you've got uh, the likes of healthcare, which I think will be, will be, will be strong. Um, the likes of financial services will also be strong. Uh, transportation, business intelligence, um, uh, so I think some of those will be will be the key will be the big um, uh, drivers going forward. And London School of Economics wrote a little bit about that and about the importance of those um, about the, the importance of AI driven uh, industry investment uh, to, to try and to try and make that happen. And just one little one other point, right? Um, this transforms the region, right? Because China spends about twenty times more on AI than Europe, and, and the US spends about 10 times more, if you judge it by the number of papers or patents that they are uh, writing, right? So to get to this transformation, you you know, you can't do it in isolation. Re the region itself needs to transform itself. So Michael, what was also really interesting is that you noted that across these five countries, the precarious employment arrangements uh, actually was feeding into the risk can you talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, there's some really unique things about the region when you talk about the future of jobs. Yeah. So um, in Germany, they're called mini jobs. So they're, they're sort of uh, temporary jobs or jobs that are insecure. And it's about 18 percent of the workforce. Uh, and it's been it grew uh, by about 30 um, percent um, or so over the last 10 years. So this is increasing. And, and the UK as well, uh, certainly jobs um uh, these zero hour contract jobs notably in food and accommodation uh, services uh, are increasing and you, and the office of national statistics show that now we can't necessarily say this is linked to automation but what we can say is that technology is potentially leading to well polarization of jobs or polarization of the workforce at least this is a leading theory that we that we need to be careful of right because you, you've got the ICT workers that are on high pay and professional service jobs are on high pay. And then you've got the, the people doing uh, maybe food deliveries or, or things like that on, on slightly lower pay. And it, so, so it, it can create an, an instability in the workforce. So the whole idea of automation is not just to save money. It's to, and, and again, this is my personal view, is that you need to create it such that you create a harmony with the with the human, a human with the a harmony with the output you're trying to create. Uh, and so worker bargaining power shouldn't should should still be an essential element in that uh, in, in, in all of that. You know, how, you know, ICT, uh, uh, flexible learning, um, working with robots. Uh, trying to optimize the work processes in collaboration with the worker. I think all of that is uh, really important going forward. So, Michael, a, a few things that you said, I just want to dig in a little bit because we've done research around also viewpoints on AI and automation, you know, 
across the world, right? Regionally, you know, what is the sort of mindset or the hesitancy or, you know, adoption rates? You pointed that out. We're triangulating these these factors, aging population, um, lower maybe investment than other regions around the world in automation, and also uh, hesitation or, um, you know, distrust of AI and automation in the region, how, you know, you put that in a pot, how, how are you seeing that play out? Um, and where would that leave Europe in sort of adoption of automation and just, you know, consumers and employees views here? Yeah, I know. It's a really good question. So one of the trends that I think Europe will try and differentiate itself with is, is, is in terms of ethical data sourcing, understanding you know how to create frameworks that have the buy-in um, so you don't just mine a data a data uh, a set of data that leads to um, you know bias or, or or things like that so so it's really important and I think Europe is quite well placed because they've got an, a, a reputation for being slightly more able to take such things on board you know we, we see with the security of the information act that you know it is something that's important to them. I think also it's important to recognise that AI, despite everything, is still in its infancy, right? I mean, um, AI is predominantly used for speech recognition and image recognition. There's loads of other um, things that it's used for as well, but that's where it's dominated uh, and that's where it's got a lot of news. Um, but, but it's still a long way from um, you know, replacing workers. So I, I think that with the shortage of workers, with the demographic uh, uh, time bomb. I, I think it's going to be more important for employers to recognise the importance of their workers, to keep their workers happy, and to use automation as a tool to um, maybe slightly more, be, be more productive for sure, but be be more productive in harmony uh, with uh, with the workforce. That, that is easier said than done, right? Um, you've got to map out the processes. You've got to take the. Uh, you, you've got to you've got to look at the opportunity cost and you've not got to look at profit first right you've got to look at the quality of the output as well as saving on staff time and things like that the other thing is that the governments themselves will not want the workforce to go down too much with automation even if you could magic up the perfect automation scenario because who would pay the pensions how would you get enough money to you know to, to pay the taxes that you need to to propagate uh, all, all of the costs, uh, etc. So, so I think it's it's a harmonious synergy between the worker, the government, um, and the employee. And I, and I think that Europe is potentially well placed, even though we're far behind the research, as I said before, that that's been that's undergoing in the US, and and that's ongoing in 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 APAC and China, etc. But it's important, right? that you can't just adopt the technology that's been developed elsewhere if they if that technology has got different behavioral different attitudes it's got a different mindset to how it was developed maybe they don't have the same um, um, constraints that we might have in Europe uh, and so it's important to keep that ethical framework in you know in mind when we when we you know adopt and develop automation Earlier, uh, your very provocative statement that Europe is on the edge of a demographic time bomb. Tell us more about that, because now that I'm listening to you, is it will Europe have a loud enough 
voice or influence globally uh, with these changes and the enhancements of of AI and automation uh, and how it impacts the workforce? Yeah, well, there'll definitely be a necessity to innovate um, because if you want to keep the same standard of living, same growth, same productivity, then you're gonna, you know, you're gonna need to do some of those things. Um, and so, if you look at the European Union, they're they're investing heavily in ICT. They're investing heavily in the green economy. Um, so, I, I think that is important. Um, but again, um, developing AI is not instantaneous. It's going to take time, no matter where in the world you are. And I would say the successful implementation of AI is going to be all about implementing it locally. You don't implement it in one place compared to um, you know, the, the same as, as you would in another place. So using local resources to interpret it, to, to, to develop it, to customize it is going to be important. We see that in IT services, by the way, when we do our tech outlook forecast. IT services are predominantly uh, from the country where they are delivered. Um, um, so, so I think that is going to be part of it, right? You, you're going to have to develop your skill set. You're going to, going to have to develop um, um, your AI expertise, both in schools, right back to schools. Um, it's going to have to be in the curriculum earlier. Um, and, um, and we're going to have to teach um, um, professionals uh, to uh, adapt to the, the new world of AI or, or, or to automation. And that doesn't mean them having to learn loads of new tech things. It might mean that they know their current job and they know the best way that automation would fit in with that to be harmonious with it. Um, and, and I think, therefore, that a lot of the workers might be in the best place position to know, to advise on how to automate in the best possible way. Um, and it's really important to do this. That's, that is consistent with the labor uh, laws of the land. We know um, um, in Spain, for example, that um, uh, there was a recent um, uh, um, judge ruling that said you can't just replace a worker just because uh, it's cheaper with an automation tool. You, you know, you, the, the, you've got to do something else with respect to that. You can't just use that simple logic. Um, and I think, therefore, um, in uh, in Europe, we're going to have a, a, a more symbiotic relationship maybe with the worker. And we're also going to have to develop our own skill set, um, slightly more independent of other regions as well. Um, so that that's how I uh, can see it going. Uh, but it, it's a long slog. Uh, we're, we're a little bit far behind compared to other regions uh, and we're going to have to you know we're going to have to continue this and, and that's why even though the future of jobs report said that not a lot of jobs overall will be lost to automation because there'll be a lot of jobs created it, it, it implicit in that is the notion that you still need to create your technology you still need to create your ai programs you still need to create a system that is symbiotic with the worker um, and and also symbiotic with the trade unions that exist uh, in the UK and the worker relationships that exist in the UK. Um, so all of that, I think, is important. Have you seen recent momentum, though, with the pandemic and just, you know, did it jumpstart anything on this front? Yeah, well, the World Trade Organization, they wrote a report and they talk about the pandemic uh, accelerating digital processes in the workforce, uh, more opportunities to work remotely and more opportunities to automate processes. So it's definitely uh, something that that has raised the profile of automation. 
Um, and that's why we're talking about it in our technographics right. data. We, we see yeah. that in our survey data. We see that, auto, you know, the companies um, that uh, are uh, more uh, able to uh, exploit automation are also more innovative uh, with respect to that. So it, it, it's almost like a change management tool in a way. You know, if you can automate, if you can drive um, change in, in an organization by being more efficient, through the symbiotic relationship with a worker, then you're going to be going in the right direction. So definitely uh, COVID has accelerated that. And it's also accelerated the need to upskill workers. That's the thing. It's not just about replacing a worker with a robot. It's about upskilling the workforce. Um, and, and, and I think that's a really good thing. Um, um, and, and so I'm looking forward to, to try and follow that in, in, you know, in our numbers as we, as we update this forecast going forward. Yeah. So, Michael, um, I want to start going into like, what's the future of the future of jobs? Because one of the things that you're starting to pique my interest on is that, you know, we have Katie Tyne and some others talking about, you know, fractional jobs, no more jobs. Uh, you know, this is where all the skills and automation, you know, is, is going to come into play is that um, let's pretend you do another forecast two years from now. What are the industries that are going to start to drive the next, uh, you know, chapter of this uh, future? And um, what are some of the trends that that you think are going to come out of that that forecast a couple of years from now? So it's a really interesting question, by the way. Um, uh, what I would say, the way to answer it, right, um, is to the hypothesis to make is that to get this automation potential. Uh, growing uh, and to exploit it, you need to. If we're if we're assuming it's through AI, which we a lot of the time are, then a lot of it will depend on how mature uh, and how cost effective the AI solutions are, and how well they're adapted to particular workforces, to particular regions, to particular sectors. Right. So one of the things that I think we need to do is to understand that a little bit better um, and, and understand whether. Um, uh, the AI tools are specific to a, a, a local player, a local workforce, or more generalizable to a, you know, more of the workforce, different regions. Um, so that's one thing that I think is important to do. And, and the other thing I think is this heterogeneity of tasks that are associated with a, with a job, right? Um, is it reasonable to be able to assume that you can just break apart a job into its component tasks and to say uh, we are therefore going to automate that bit and not that bit and the person can still continue to do that what therefore that means is if that is the way go forward and, and that would mean that you've gone from a heterogeneous approach to a more homogeneous approach where you've been able to segment the the way people are working um, if that is transparent we will see it in the workplace you know how many people are being used as a pool of workers for specific tasks where they can be quite flexible uh, around those specific tasks to adapt to the workload in an industry and how much of that doesn't need a worker and can be more automated with just maybe some um, worker uh, overview. Um, so I think the notion of a pool of workers to, to get around this task heterogeneity uh, will be interesting. Is that is that a business model that can work? Can it work in all cases? Um, now, one of the things that I uh, also think uh, will be uh, happening. If we, if we go back to this NHS uh, report, 
what they were talking about is they had a strong growth in things like clinical informaticians, informatics people or IT strategy people and things like that. But what they also said was, and this is, I found this really interesting, was that there's a sort of new role, it's called a hybrid role, where you're a, a clinical information person, but you're still clinical, right? So, so you're, you're going across the boundaries of the job market, right? So you're not, so this is, this is a third way of looking at it, right? Where you're, you're adopting AI, you're adopting, but, but you're actually getting these, these new types of jobs that where you keep your clinical expertise, but you also have the IT skills to know how to interpret the data in the most appropriate way. Those would be my three things that I think we'd need to monitor to, to understand how, the, how, how this is evolving. I'm geeking out on the math behind that because I feel like two years from now, you're not going to be counting jobs. You're going to be counting fractions of jobs to get to your final number. Well, this is the thing, right? In a sense, yes. And in a sense, no, because you're counting fractions of jobs. But if you reorganize yourself in the way that I, that I explained, you would then be in a way where it's no longer a fraction of job. It's a thing that you've outsourced or you've let. You, you, you've allowed it to become a free electron that can be automated, right? So, so this is the thing, you, you can't do it without transforming your organization, the way you're doing, the way you're working. And, and how able are we to do that? How realistic is it to do it? And one last point about this is, I think there'll be a, a divide between how easy it is to do in SMEs and uh, large corporations. Large corporations will have more resources. Um, they'll have more standardized procedures maybe. And so maybe uh, they might have uh, more uh, resources to be able to start doing that. So that would be something I would look at um, uh, to start with. In smaller organizations, there'll be less, it'll be less easy to, to, to do that breakout because by definition, a worker tends to do a lot more different and varied tasks than, than in a larger organization. So again, that's, that's going to be interesting, right? Because you might be able to automate, but maybe automation tends to be therefore veered towards some of the larger corporations that are structured in a certain way. So you're saying the future of jobs is going to bifurcate our economy and the companies within our economy even further? Potentially. I mean, I, it, it's a little bit hard to speculate. But what we do know, for example, is that, um, yeah, that some of the larger corporations, we see it in, we we see it in, tech, in, 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 in tech spend, for example, the people who provide the technology they are much. They tend to grow faster and be more profitable than than the smaller players, right? So, so I would expect to see that type of logic, where if, you know, if there's a gain to be had through automation, the larger players would maybe be in a position to exploit that first, uh, and then that could create a, maybe a, a two-tier system, which wouldn't be great, right? So, we'd have to make sure that we understood how to to cope with that. We'd have to make sure that there was training, adoption learning across organizations to to make sure that it, other the smaller companies were not left behind it it's complex right but i think it's fascinating so michael great insights this forecast seems uh extremely valuable so if you were to take this forecast and to put it in the hands of all of our executive leaders out there what are the three tech ways do you want European C CEOs to start looking at right now as a result of your forecast? Well, I think with, with, the, um, with the reduction of the workforce to the worker demographic, I think it, it emphasizes the importance of employees going forward. 
So I think uh, um, enterprises need to value their employees even more um, and understand uh, their, you know, how the, how they map onto the future. The second thing is, I think um, AI is is with us, and Europe needs to differentiate itself, maybe through ethical data sourcing, um, maybe through uh, the, the strong data protection laws that it's got. Um, it can differentiate itself with respect to the other regions that exist out there, and, and we can use AI then to leverage a competitive advantage in Europe. And the third thing I think is, it is an urgency uh, uh, to 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 be had with this forecast. Um, 2020, uh, 2040, uh, 12 million jobs lost to automation. Um, it means that automation is an important way to keep uh, competitive uh, going forward. That's awesome, Michael. Thank you for all the insights. Uh, we look forward to the US forecast very soon and possibly APAC. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.